it's very important for us to, to gain understanding uh, when it comes to our interdependence. Uh, being here on Sunday morning allows us to interact with someone else in the community. It allows us to interact with somebody that is very much a part of who we are. And it allows us to be interdependent. These relationships that we develop are very important, are very influential, and take us a long ways down the road. And uh, for that, I am very grateful. I am aware of the fact that the word unchosen is not a word. Um, the, uh, the title of our message this morning is The Other Unchosen Family. And, uh, but you understand where I'm going. It's, it's the other family that we don't get to choose. We're born into a family. We don't get, really get to choose our family that we're born into, right? We're just in the family. We have some strange characters in our family. Do you guys have strange characters in your family? We have some really strange characters in our family. I mean, there's a lady that laughs so loud that I think probably a four-state area could hear her laugh, but maybe not quite that bad. It's really bad. She is loud. And um, her last name is Lloyd. And her, her first name is Lila. And I don't know if all of us get our noise or our volume from her, but she is loud and very strange. She named her kid Floyd, and so he is Floyd Lloyd. And um, that might have some indication as to how strange she actually is. They celebrated their anniversary this, this week, wasn't it? I can't remember how many. Where'd mom go? It's a lot of years. But anyway, I saw a thing on Facebook, and they're celebrating their, their wedding anniversary, and so it was really cool. But they're really strange. There are many situations that are quite embarrassing when you get together with family. Don't you agree? Have you ever been embarrassed by your parents? Kids, have you ever been embarrassed by your parents? Have you ever, parents, intentionally embarrassed your kids? Like, <laughs> watch this. This is going to be great. Yeah. We don't get to choose our family. We're just kind of in that family. And uh, it's, it's very similar in the spiritual realm. Uh, we have a similar situation. You, you, you finally talk your friend into coming to church, and, and guess who sits next to you? That family that, that you know, just loads up on the essential oils right before they come to church. And everybody in your row, including your friend, just can't breathe for the whole entire service. That guy, <laughs> there's an oil leak. <laughs> that guy that, that has the church sticker on the back of his truck and, and runs people off the road continually. That one family that you definitely want to stay away from whatever it is in that mystery casserole at the fellowship dinner. We're just sort of stuck with one another. We're blessed with the opportunity to be stuck with one another. This relationship that we have with each other is important. A relationship with God without a relationship with the church is unbiblical. You can't do it. There's, uh, today's world is very, um, I would say, individualistic. We have become isolated. We've become uh, dependent on just ourselves, or I should say we've become independent. That's not the way um, the church should be. And that's why we're in this series entitled Interdependence. Because when we work together, we become stronger. Saying that you want a relationship with God but don't want to have anything to do with church. 
is like Colton saying he wants to hang out with me, but he doesn't want to hang out with mom and, and Colton, or Kathleen and Cameron and Corbin. That's an impossibility because if he wants to hang out with me, he's going to hang out with the rest of them because we're going to be together, right? It's just not possible. The real family begins, has begun to break down, and we've started to see this idea, this idea that, that if something that we don't like about someone else, that we can just say, well, you know what, I'm just done with you. Um, we're just going to get a divorce, I'm just going to move on because there's something about you that I don't really like. This idea has slammed itself into the church. We think that if we don't like one another or brothers and sisters in Christ, that we just need to find, find new ones. In other words, to find a different church. Following Jesus was never meant to be a solo journey. It was meant to be one that we can feel connected and we can feel uh, joined in with, with one another. The church is all messed up. And you won't find, you won't find uh, very many people that don't have bad experiences with congregations. Many say, I don't want to have anything to do with God because of what the local church did to me. Others will say things like, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm just not religious. Once again, they think that they can exist in a relationship with God with no or little interaction with others. I find that as an impossibility. It's not possible to do that. It's not possible to, to be connected with God and not be connected with a local community, a local church. Why... why why do you think it is that we don't find or we can't find a perfect church? Well, because a perfect church is full of sinners. The church is not a righteousness club. We're not here to, to see how righteous each other are. Let's say, let's say Cade and I, we run down to, uh, to MCR. We run down to the medical center of the Rockies. That big hospital out by I-25. And we go inside and we begin walking around and visiting several rooms. We spend a couple hours visiting folks in the hospital. And when we get to the parking lot, I just begin ranting about, about how it's so weird to see all these hurt and sick people in there. What would Kate say to me? Um, boy, that's where they're supposed to be. They're sick and they're hurting and that's where they're supposed to be. It's the same with the church. We're going to find sick and hurting people in the church. It's like going to the gym and expecting to not see any fat people there. Right? <laughs> Even if you found a church where everyone was spiritually buff. That there were spiritual six packs everywhere you looked. It would be messed up as soon as you joined. This is what makes the church beautiful. It's a place of change and growth. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, it's a place to grow. Why is the local church God's plan A and, and why is there no plan B? A group of, of Christians who, who meet together on a regular basis and are committed to one another. This word that we find many times in the New Testament is Ecclesia. It's the Greek word. It, it really means the assembly. So it means the gathering together of Christians or of people that have been called out. It happens 109 times in the New Testament. These appearances of this word church is, is always referring to the local congregation who gather regularly. 
hold each other accountable and are knit tight enough that if someone wanders off, there's even discipline that could take place. That's how tight this local congregation is. When the word church is used, it's not talking about the worldwide organization known as God's kingdom. It's talking about the local congregation, the local church. When we're called out of this world for a time of assembly, then we are returned back into the world to have an impact and influence on them. So let's define this thing called church. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew's an easy book to find. It's the very beginning of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Let's pray before we go any farther. Dear God in heaven, we thank you so much for allowing us to be together today. And we thank you for opportunities like Kids Open. And God, we thank you for opportunities like today just to be here together as a, as a group. God, I pray that as we dive into your, what your word has for us and uh, defining and, and talking about the Lord's church and what it means and what's going to hold it together and what's going to keep it strong. God, I pray that we'll allow ourselves not to just be a crowd, but to enjoy and embrace the things that your word says about the things we should do and we should change in order to be that church. God, I pray that you'll bless us here this morning. Pray things in Jesus' name. Amen. So defining this thing called the church, Matthew 16 and verse 18, it says, So I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the power of death will not be able to defeat it. Peter has just made a confession that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus Christ says, So I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this confession, this statement, this belief that you just made, that he's going to build whose church? Whose church is Jesus going to build? His church. This passage is important. It's important for us to understand that the church is not ours. It's not Gary's church. It's definitely not my church. It's not, it's not the Nichols church. It's the Lord's church. It's his church. It's funny. We catch people saying, and I even do it once in a while. You should come to, you should come to my church. Well, wait a minute. It's not mine, but it's the church I go to. It's the church I attend. It's the church I belong to. We hear it often. It's not ours. It's his. Jesus told Peter this confession, this statement, this belief about who I am is what I'm going to call out with. That's what we're going to be called out with. Uh, his assembly would be built on this idea, this, this concept. Nothing else. Not a good book. Not even the Bible. The Bible is where we find God's will for our lives, but that's not what calls us out. It's not what brings the assembly together. This truth that Peter states, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what calls us out. People get mad and say things like, well, my church is messed up. You'll never believe what they're doing. It's not yours. It's not theirs. It's his. Don't you think he will deal with it? If I'm not a part of the church, there will be some things missing from my life. I'm not going to function spiritually without these things. Each one is found in the church. Each of those key elements to my spirituality, to my functionality as a Christian is found in the church. So what makes the local church so important? We're going to look at four things real quick. What makes the local church so important? 
Number one, it functions as the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27, it says, All of you together are what? Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. So each of you is a part of it. There's, there's, there's feet. There's hands. There's, there's everything is there. Uh, God's no longer here. Christ's no longer here. His spirit guides us and leads us. But we are his hands and feet right here. When somebody needs a, a warm hug or a warm embrace, whose arms do that? It's ours. It's yours and mine. We are his hands and feet. When someone needs a swift kick in the rear end, whose foot does it? It's ours. It, we help each other out. We keep each other going, right? We are his hands and feet. How many of you like your eyes? They're, they're at least functional. They may not be the most beautiful thing in the world. I mean, there's some people that have much more beautiful eyes, right? But... Seriously, think about it. What would you do if, if they were in your eyes? What, what good would they do you if your eyes were in a, a glass jar on the counter? Would they do you any good? They wouldn't. How about your hands? Do you like your hands? I like my hands. I, I can do a lot of stuff with my hands. I get a lot accomplished. I can, I can shoot guns. I can... Pinch, Colton, I can, I, there's all kinds of fun things you can do with your hands, right? What good would it be if I cut my hand off and, and put it in a glass jar or set it over on the side? Would it do me any good over there? No. What's my point? Each of us is a part of the body of Christ, but severed from that body can do no good. We can't get anything accomplished if we're separated, if we're out on our own doing our own thing. We have to be connected to the body in order to serve, in order to be spiritually active and functioning. <clears throat> As the body of Christ, we only have the capacity to carry out the mission of the church when, when, when we are doing it together. We can't, we can't uh, even begin to fulfill the mission that Jesus left us if we're not doing it together. When each of us figures out what it is that we are supposed to be doing here... Because, because our function is completely different. Our tasks and our, our, our abilities to serve our, our particular function are completely different. We're all different. But when we figure out what it is that God wants us to do, that's where we really become a functioning part of the body. We were talking about it this week. I don't remember who I was talking to. It's like there's parts of the body that I don't really understand. Like, I don't even know if they need that part of the body. I think it was J.R. Osaki. He lost his appendix this week, or not this week, a couple weeks ago. Didn't lose it. He just wasn't walking down the road, and all of a sudden, it just fell out and ran away. It would have been a lot easier. It's like, why? What is the purpose of that? Well, we don't know what the purpose of that is. But most of us have functioning purposes in the body, right? So not any one of us is an appendix, right? We're not. We're not an appendix. Andrea is not an appendix. She has much more purpose and much more belonging and much more function here in the church, right? Nobody's an appendix. Our individual roles don't make sense, though, if we're not attached to the body first. The American individualistic mindset that we are all buying into has a major problem when it comes to the church. It's, it's great to be out there in the world and have a good influence and live in the mission 
but only if we're connected to the Lord's church. The problem is that when we have, we have this very strongly, when we are very strongly connected, if we're not very strongly connected, we won't be able to function properly in our various capacities and roles. The other major problem is that we expect the church to organizationally do what he has called us to do individually. We expect the church to do organizationally what God has called us to do individually. Let me give you some real examples. John and Sarah, I'm not talking about you. So next summer, it's time to go to youth group at Park Creek in, out in California. And let's say there's a young lady that's been coming to youth group. Her name is not Delaney. And she decides that she wants to go. She's been hanging out with your family in a, f- a few times and has even come to church with you a couple of times. I got done writing this and I'm like, oh, brother, that's Delaney. I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't, that was, has, I did not, I didn't intend for that. She's been hanging out with your family and a few times she's even come to church. And, and a couple of times she's even, she's even come to church with you because she couldn't, her family wouldn't bring her. It comes down to the final financial commitment to go to camp. And this young lady's mom calls you and says, my daughter really wants to go to camp, but she, and, and, and she really wants her to, we really want her to, but, but I don't think we can afford to send her. She asks, does the church have a scholarship program to cover the expense of camp? So you get on the phone and you send me a text. Does the church have a scholarship program for camp? And what do I respond with? The obvious answer is no. Well, that's lame. The church can, can afford to send money to Jamaica and to the Sudan and buy decorations for those stupid theme Sundays, but can't send a young girl to youth camp. God's not wanting the church organizationally to start a scholarship program for camp. God is asking you to be that scholarship program. He wouldn't have brought it to your attention if he didn't want you to be the church and play your role. You find out that there's a a little old lady that would like to come to church. She would faithfully attend, but she needs a ride. So what do you do? You make a phone call and you ask if we have a bus ministry at the church to place so so that we can bring people to church that don't have a ride. And the church organizationally says, no, we sold the church van, so we do not have the ability to serve in that way. Well, isn't that just really too bad? We should probably stop paying the preacher so much so the church can afford to buy a van so we can start this ministry and afford to bring this old lady to church. Do you think God made you aware of the old lady that needed a ride to church so that the church organizationally could meet that need? Nope. God made you aware of this old lady so that you could be the church and give her a ride. Are you getting me? Do you understand what I mean? I'm not saying that the church organizationally can't have ministries and programs in place to meet needs. But more times than not, God has that ministry in church already. It has your name on it. The program is you. That ministry is you. Think about it backwards for a second. What ministries have your name on them? Think about it. 
What ministries that happen here at the Church of the Eleven have your name on them? When you think about what happens uh, because of the church at Loveland, which ones do you own? Which ones do you call your own? Adam owns the art projects. John owns the blended class. Greg owns the men's softball. Danny owns many other service projects that go on inside and outside the body. The list could go on and on and on, right? Are you a one-talent, five-talent, or ten-talent person? Have you buried your talent, or are you multiplying them? What's sad is it doesn't take very many no's before God finds someone else to meet that need in the congregation. We have needs here that can be met by us. We have to answer yes when God asks us to join in and be a part of his congregation and his church. It doesn't take uh, very many no's before he finds someone else to meet that need. What have you answered no to lately? It may not have been directly to me or to anyone in the church, but what has God asked you to do What has he said? You know what? You could take care of this. You could do this. You can see this need. What have you seen lately that you said, nah, somebody else will take care of it? You still may have time to reverse that answer. You still may have time to say, you know what? I'm going to do it. Let's get started. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 says, God put everything under his power and made him the head over everything for the church which is Christ's body. The church is filled with Christ, and Christ fills everything in every way. We are the body. We function as the body. That's why it's important. Why is the church important? Secondly, it's the pillar and foundation of the truth. As we gather together in a commitment to the body of Christ, as we become, uh, we become the, the congregation here, the local church, we become the pillar and foundation of the truth. What are we talking about? 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, If I'm delayed... Paul's talking to Timothy. If I can't be there right when when you expect me, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. What does this practically mean? Together, we hold to the truth of the scripture in ways that we never would be able to on our own. If, if we separated ourselves and everybody went and studied our Bibles all by ourselves, we would all come up with conclusions based on what? Based on our own feelings, our own experiences, our own preferences. I don't know about you, but when I study the Bible, there are parts of the Bible that I don't like. There's parts of the Bible that I like to just avoid. I'm just going to set that one right over there and when it's not going to go there right now. But because we're together, because we're studying God's word together, we don't have that opportunity. It can't be a a Burger King, having it my way kind of church, having it my way kind of a relationship, having it my way kind of Bible. Because we can't avoid those scriptures that we want to avoid when we're all together as a group. 
I believe that's why the Bible tells us in, in that First Timothy passage that the Lord's church, the church of the living God, is the pillar and foundation of the truth. We become that pillar when we belong to a local church. That's the reason the church is important. It's because it's the pillar and foundation of the truth. Thirdly, it provides a lab for learning how to live like Jesus. It provides a lab. Gathering together uh, in, in a committed relationship called the church, we create an atmosphere that is perfect lab for figuring out how to live like Jesus did. I remember in school in science, we would listen to lectures and do some book work, and then we would, we would go to lab. It's been a long time since I've been there, but it seemed like if you were paying attention to all the lectures and you were you know, somewhat paying attention to, to what you were doing in your book work, it helped a lot when you got to the lab. It's like you didn't blow up the science room and you didn't start the school on fire if you were paying attention to your book work. Now, I'm sure Brandon and, and Brad could tell me which chemicals that you can't mix in science class before you blow up the school. But, but you know what I mean. Really, the lab was where your learning sort of was applied. I remember dissecting a lung. I don't remember what grade it was in, but we studied about it all year long, and then we got to dissect it. We got to dissect an eyeball one time. And in high school, we even got to dissect a cat. That's pretty cool. Which, which I thought was great because they had to get those cats from somewhere. And that meant there were 50 less cats in the world. I'm sorry for all you cat-loving people out there. However, I did a much better job than the science department at eliminating cats from the world. But we won't discuss that right now. But the lab is where the rubber met the road, right? We studied about it. We learned about it. We figured it out. We, we, and then we went to the lab and we did it. We applied it. We put all of our knowledge to work in whatever it was that we were doing. The church is the same concept. I can stand up here and I can lecture and we can break up into small groups and we can open our Bibles and we can discuss it. But the lab takes place when we begin to integrate with each other, when we begin to work with each other. That's what we call the church. This monk idea, this idea that we're just going to rock back and forth and think about, think about the Bible and rock back and forth and think about what it is that God wants us to do. You can't live out Christianity without the church as our lab. We work together as a congregation, therefore, uh, and that's how we become the Christians that we are. Have you ever prayed for patience? I don't recommend it, but if you, if you ever have, what does God have to do in your life in order to grant you that request? He has to put a jerk in your life. I mean, he does. In order to give you patience, he's got to put that jerk in your life. It's just the way it is. Sometimes it's church. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Go to your Bibles. It's not on the screen. You're going to have to go to your Bibles this time. Romans chapter 12. This is too long of a passage to put on the screen. Romans chapter 12. You know where it's at? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Oh, I already passed it. Acts, Romans. It's right after Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Sixth book in the New Testament. Acts chapter, or no, Romans chapter 12. Romans is where we're going. Romans chapter 12 is an amazing passage of scripture, but let's just pull out Romans chapter 12 and, and we're going to start reading in verse 10. How many of these things could you do if you isolated yourself, you put yourself up on a mountain and you just were there all by yourself, you and God? How many of these things could you do? Verse 10, 
Love each other with genuine affection. I love you, foot. I love you, other foot. That's not what he's talking about here. In order to love each other with genuine affection, we have to be with other people. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to what? Help them. Are you going to be able to help them if you're up on top of a mountain, just you and God? No, we're not. Church is the lab where we can love each other. Verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Have you ever tried to make harmony with one note or with one song, with one, one melody? You can't make harmony with one person. It's impossible. You can't do it unless you play two notes at the same time. Can't do it. Don't take revenge. Leave the righteous anger to God. <laughs> can't take revenge on yourself. Who would we be, why would he be telling us to not take revenge if we weren't interacting with other people? Right? God wants us to be interacting with others. It's the lab where we can work things out like this. The church is important because it offers that opportunity. And last, it provides godly peer pressure. We talked about this last week, how if we hang out with the ungodly, if we listen to them, if we think like them, if we start talking like them, then we're going to be ungodly like them. If we hang out with the godly, on the other hand, we're going to become more like God wants us to be. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we looked at this one last week. It's not just the passage of scripture that says, don't miss church, which that's important. But look at it. the very beginning of it. it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. It provides that positive peer pressure. It provides that place where we can say, hey, you know what? BJ and, and, and Kate and JR and Matt and Justin and, and Doug, the, all these people are doing these things that I need to be doing. You know what? I can do it because I know they're doing it too. It's positive peer pressure. If we're going to keep a good church good and not let a, bad ch- a good church go bad, what do we have to do? We need to stay on mission. The last part of my message this morning is I just want to hit three, three points real quick about how to keep a good church from going bad. Matthew chapter 28, it's the, it's the great commission, we call it. But it's also the great omission. The church is guilty of omission. We know that it's what we should be doing, but it has been put on the back burner. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have, given, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The church here, this congregation, from the beginning, from the basement of a home in Berthoud, where we had five families meeting, to the basement of a bank building. Then we met on Fifth and Pierce, and then at Walt Clark for about four years, and then a big, huge building out there on Southwest 14th, to the park for about five months, then to a funeral home chapel, to the Orchards building up on 37th, and now here at the Life Center. And several other places in between. Our mission has always been the same. Number one, we need to reach out and recruit new followers of Jesus. We looked at the passage earlier, actually last week. And 
Remember when Jesus went to Matthew's house and hung out with those, those rough characters? I want the church at Loveland here to be that messed up place. I want the worst of sinners to feel comfortable here. I want the smokers, the drinkers, the, those addicted to drugs, the adulterers, the sexually immoral, all of those, I want them to feel comfortable here. I'm not saying that we should go out and, and start some, up, some sort of new habit or some sort of sin just to make them feel comfortable. But I want us to be reaching out. I want guys like my friend Cross, who is now in the penitentiary, to be accepted here. To feel like they can come here and show up and be okay here. I know he feels comfortable to be here. I heard a preacher of mine. And I won't tell you who he is. Because you might judge judge me for just telling you he said this. He said, those hell of a talk guys. They're the guys that come up to the preacher after church and say, yeah, that was... Give you a high five and say, yeah, that was, a, that was a hell of a talk. What are you talking about? It's just not the lingo, right? That's a little awkward. That's a little strange. We don't say those words in church. But you know what? He does, and they do. They just don't quite totally get it yet. They don't wrap their mind around all of the is that, that we may understand. But that's okay. Because we're recruiting, and we're reaching out, and we're bringing people in. We need to teach people how to live the Christian life. We need to accept them as they are, and then we need to teach them how to live this Christian life. When we get them, when we go out there and get them, they begin to teach them how God wants them to change. It's not our job to change them. God will, God will do that. But it's our job to teach them that what, what His will is. We are His hands and feet, His mouth, His vocal cords. Well, we just don't think we should, should you know... I don't think we should judge and I think we should just tolerate the, their way of life God wants people to come to him he wants people to join his bride the church just as they are but he doesn't want them to stay that way look at 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 it says And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living the truth. But those who obey God's worth truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. There's going to be some strange characters. But you know what? As they know and as they learn who God is and what he's all about and how to obey his commands, their lives will begin to change. And that is such a huge encouragement. How to keep a good church from going bad. We've got to teach them how to become what God wants them to become. And third, we need to deploy people into the kingdom ministry. We aren't done until we have all found what God wants us to do. We have gifts. We have abilities. We have ways to, to love on others. We have ways to serve the local congregation. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, verse 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Why is it given? So that we can help each other. So we can join in and, and, and love on each other and help each other. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to end with this one. 
starting in verse 10. It says, God has given each one of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have a gift of helping others? Do it with all your strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. What we have gotten accomplished today is this. I've done my best to explain how God wants us to relate to other Christians. I've tried to explain how in the, in the world of individualism, in the world of spiritualism, that's, that it's important to belong to a community of believers, the church. It's a two-way street. The congregation becomes the church, the bride of Christ. The church follows through with, with its mission of outreach and recruitment and helping people find their niche, helping people find their thing that they can do. The Lord's church is important. Interdependence is important, and especially when it comes to the local congregation. The other unchosen family. It's the one we don't get to choose either. You don't get to choose who's in the church. But you know what? We have an opportunity to love on. And that's a beautiful thing. Thank you for your attention this morning. I hope there's been some things that we've shared this morning that can bless your life and, and help you be the church that, that God wants us to be. And, um, I know there's lots of opportunities that, that, we've ha- that we have here um, to, 